Thank God for the blood. Boy, there is nothing greater, nothing better than the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, that, that verse in Romans 5 and 8, God demonstrated his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, he died for us. What an amazing thought that in our sin, even in our state that we were in, he shed his blood so that we could have life, have it everlasting, and have it more abundantly. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Pastor Tony, thank you again this morning, this choir, these musicians, these singers. Would you just let them know how much you appreciate them today? Now, if you don't mind to reach for your Bibles this morning, please, let's go to the book of Luke chapter 23. And we'll spend a few moments today and to share with you a little bit. And I'm going to go ahead and just give you this fact that we don't typically leave here at 12 o'clock on the nose. Okay, it may be 12.15 or so, but I promise the world will not end if you don't walk out of the doors at 12 o'clock. If you hang around a little bit longer, all the other folks that get out of church at 12 will be out of the restaurants and you can get right in and won't even have to wait. So in the book of Luke this morning, chapter 23. I'll let you, uh, I tell you what, let's just go ahead since we always stand every Sunday to read the Word of God. Let's stand together for these two verses of Scripture that I want to read today. <clears throat> Luke chapter 23, I'll read the 32nd and the 33rd verse this morning. You can follow along the PowerPoint behind me. You can look off of your neighbor or you can just listen, whatever you prefer to do. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible, and here's what it says. There were also <clears throat> two, other, two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when, they, when they had come to the place called Calvary or Golgotha, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. When they had come to the place called Calvary or Golgotha, I want to use for a title today, and the title won't make sense to you possibly until we get to the very end of the message. message. But I want to talk today and preach today on this thought, grace in a garbage dump. Or I could use a subtitle and call it Finding Love in a land fill. Let me invite you just one more time. We're going to pray, and then we'll be seated. Father, thank you for the word today. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that your word is still relevant in our culture that we're living in today. Bless the preaching of the word this morning, God, and I want you to bless the ears to hear, the eyes to see, and hearts to receive today from this message that you've laid upon my heart as we take a few moments and survey the scene of Calvary. And here's my prayer today, God, before we walk out of this auditorium today and leave this building, let somebody pray a prayer and receive Christ into their life so that they will forever be changed. I love you today, and I thank you for what you're going to do in these next few moments. In Christ's name, the church said amen. God bless you this morning. You can be seated today. Thank you for standing, Pastor Tony. Thank you. 
It is during the Easter season that we are always drawn to focus on the cross that Christ hung on, and well, we should. There is not a greater, more powerful symbol in all of the world, I don't believe, than the cross. One pastor said that the cross is the missing piece in the middle of every puzzle. Without it, we are helpless and hopeless, but with it, the puzzle is solved. And as we survey the scene of Calvary, and we look toward the things that happened not only in the events leading up to Calvary, but the things that happened that day, we must remember that there were two other men hanging on two other crosses who were crucified on that hill that day. Three crosses, three men, three deaths, yet one powerful message flowed from that center cross, and it was this message, I love you. The songwriter penned a song one time and said, it's been said with pretty flowers and shining diamond rings, a band of gold, a string of pearls, a million different things. But to find a greater token of love, I'm at a loss. These treasures rare cannot compare to the old rugged cross. The cross says, I love you. The cross says, I died for you. And it is no secret that crucifixion was quite possibly the most torturous death that any one human being could die. I've done a little research, a little study through the years on the crucifixion, and we talked last Easter about a physician's perspective from what happened on the cross and the punishment that Jesus went through in his body. And we know that when they would crucify you, they would nail you to a cross. Six to nine inch Roman spikes in your hands and not, not in the center of your hands because it's a proven medical fact that your, your hands there cannot hold the weight of your body. So just below the palm, they would drive the spikes in. They would cross the legs of the criminal and bend them at an angle, put one foot on top of the other foot, and take another six to nine inch Roman spike, drive it between that top foot down through the bottom foot and into that cross. The weight of the criminal's body would cause his chest to sag, which would put enormous pressure on his lungs. And the only way for them to breathe would be to push themselves up to get a quick gulp of air only to slouch back down again. And if their backs had been beaten like was common for most criminals and had been laid open, the flesh had been taken off of their back by that beating that they went through, every time that they would raise themselves up to get a breath of air, that open back would dig into that cross and these little metal bolts that protruded out of that cross would dig into that already open flesh. Now most of them died from from blood loss. 
If their earlier beatings were severe enough, they would die from blood loss, but so many of them really died from suffocation. Because trying to push up over and over to get a breath, they would become so fatigued and so tired and so exhausted that they could no longer lift themselves up to get a breath of air. If they hung on that cross too long and for too many days, Roman soldiers would come by with this wooden instrument, almost like the end of a pool stick, they said, and like swinging a baseball bat, they would swing it against their shins until they broke the shin bones. And thus they would be unable at that point to push themselves up to get breath or to get air, and they would suffocate, and literally doctors say that their hearts would explode. And it was this agony, this torture, this punishment that Jesus went through, not just for two thieves that were hanging beside him, but for people like you and people like me. Jesus was not drawn to those whose lives were perfectly woven and fit together. Actually, I don't know any lives that even exist like that. But he was drawn to people whose lives were not perfectly together. People like you, people like me, people like those two thieves hanging on that cross. As a matter of fact, most of the people and many of the people that Jesus interacted with, their lives were a mess. And that's the kind of people that Jesus came for. That's the kind of people, Pastor Tony, that Jesus was drawn to. And this crucifixion scene with Jesus and these two criminals depicts that message as clear as that early morning sun that began to crest over top of the hills and over top of the trees and shine down on that borrowed tomb that Jesus laid in for three days. Permit me for just a few moments today, if you don't mind, I want to take us on a journey together, and I want us to go to Calvary. I want us to go to that scene at Golgotha, the place of the skull, because of the way that the mountain had been carved out. And I want us to see Jesus on that center cross and a thief on the left and a thief on the right. And I just want to lift some things out of that scene first. Number one, let me draw your attention to the people who were on those crosses. Obviously, it is no secret that it was Jesus on that middle cross, the Son of God, the suffering servant, the mild, meek, humble, lowly lamb slain from the foundation of the world to take away the sin of the world is what John the Baptist said that day as Jesus came to him. The prophet Isaiah would look way into time and say that he was despised and rejected of men. Like a sheep being led to the slaughter, he never opened his mouth. He was despised and rejected by men. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, Isaiah said, we are healed. That's Jesus on the cross. 
And then the Bible tells us that there were two criminals, two thieves, that were crucified, one on the left and one on the right. And that's all the Bible tells us about them. It doesn't give us any detail about their crime. It doesn't tell us what kind of criminal activity that they had been involved in. It just simply says there were two thieves. And in the days of Jesus, the law of the land was the laws of the Roman Empire. And the Romans had very little, if any, tolerance for criminal activity. As a matter of fact, they say that petty theft could get you capital punishment during that day. And what a picture, what a contrast that Calvary reveals to us. The suffering Savior, the meek, lowly lamb led to the slaughter, but make no mistake about it, he may have died as a lamb, but he's returning as a strong, mighty lion as the tribe of Judah. Two thieves, two criminals, one on the left and one on the right. Here's the second thing I want you to see in this scene. I want you to see the placement of Jesus' cross that day. They could have put that cross anywhere. They could have put him on the left and one criminal in the middle, the other one on the right, but they put the cross of Christ in the middle. They put him in the middle of two people that the world would probably identify as dregs of society. They put him in the middle of, of two men that the world would label as lowlifes and losers. The world would look at these two men and say they're thugs, they're criminals, they're worth nothing. And in the final hours of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, God chose to put him beside two really messed up people. And why would God do that? I believe that he did that because he wants us to remember that there is always a connection to the ministry of Jesus to ordinary people who are at the end of their rope. Drunkards. Infidels, liars, murderers, rapists, adulterers, and the list goes on and on. And before you straighten up your Easter suit this morning and polish your halo and if you wore a bonnet before you adjust it and before you look at me and say, Pastor, I don't fall into any one of those categories that you just mentioned. I'm pretty sure that all of us can identify with Romans 3 and 23 that says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if that one doesn't work for you, I'm pretty sure Psalm 51 and 5 will resonate with you when the writer said, Behold, I was shaping in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me and if that one doesn't work for you I'm pretty sure Psalm 14 and 3 will make sense to you that there is none righteous no not one and Jesus reminds us in Luke 5 and 31 that it is not those who are well that need a physician but rather it is those who are sick and I want to stand here today and declare to this congregation Jesus came for the 
the lost. Jesus came for the broken. Jesus came for the people that were not so well to do. Jesus came for the drunkard. Jesus came for the rapist. Jesus came for the infidel. Jesus came for the murderer. Jesus came for the homosexual. Jesus came for a common man and a common woman. He came and he gave his life and he hung on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. He was raised on the third day. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's praying for you and he's praying for me. And I've got some good Sunday morning Easter news for you. Jesus Christ is coming back again one day and he's coming for you and he's coming for me. If you're glad about that, why don't you give the Lord praise today? This is a rare treat. I've been pastoring for 13 years. You don't get this kind of spirit on Easter Sunday morning usually. Ooh, but I'm glad, Scott, it's here, my friend. <laughs> Woo, hallelujah. Here's the third thing I want you to see. I want you to see the position of all three of those crosses. They were put in a place where there would be public mockery. It was common during that time for the Roman soldiers to crucify men alongside of a very busy road so that those that were passing by in the public could get an up-close and personal look at the punishment that those men were going through. And there is no doubt in my mind as people walked by and looked up at those men hanging on that cross no clue to many of them that this was the innocent man, Jesus Christ, dying for all of their sins so they wouldn't have to die without him. And I would venture to say that as they walked by Brother Gene Turpin, they turned their gaze and they fixed their focus upon those crosses they would drop their head and mutter to themselves, I don't know what they did, but I hope I never do that. Public mockery. The Bible tells us in Luke 23 and 35 that the people stood and they looked on. And it says, but even the rulers with them sneered, the Bible said at Jesus, and said, you have saved others. Why don't you save yourself if you are the chosen of God? Public mockery. But that cross and those three crosses were positioned in such a place that there was private criticism as well. Matthew 27 and 44 reveals to us that both of those criminals that day railed on the Lord. Both of those criminals that day reviled him and mocked him and ridiculed him and said, if you are the Christ, why don't you save yourself and save us too? They mocked his claim as the Christ. They mocked his power as the Christ. They scoffed at his ability to save lost humanity the sins of this world. 
privately, publicly, physically, mentally, emotionally. Jesus is taking blow after blow from every side imaginable. And they're scoffing not only at the cross. They're not just mocking the cross, but it is the Christ of the cross they're pointing a finger at. And I want you to know today that the culture that we live in, listen, if you came for something politically correct, you're in the wrong building today. I'm so sick of hearing about politics, I could throw up. I'm so tired of hearing about an election and what some man's going to do to save us. There's no, I don't care who they put in an office, there's no man going to fix the state of this world. Only the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to fix our trouble. And I'm getting ready to probably make somebody mad. And I just, because I have an I don't care spirit on me today. We act like one of these nominees for our next president is some Messiah, some chosen one. Like, they're going to fix all of our trouble. It's not going to happen. Pastor Weaver, we don't have a political problem. We got a spiritual problem in this world. We don't have an economical problem. We don't have a banking issue. We don't have a housing issue. We've got something called sin. It's a problem. It's been plaguing mankind for thousands of years. And I'm telling you, Trump can't fix it, and Cruz can't fix it, and Sanders can't fix it, and Clinton can't fix it. But I know somebody who's got the remedy. I know somebody who's got the answer to sin. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He can fix any problem you have. It doesn't matter how big. It doesn't matter how small. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Oh, hallelujah. I'm about to swing my coat on Easter Sunday morning. I'm telling you, Jesus is still the answer for a messed up, troubled, sin-sick world. I hope some of you regular folks aren't embarrassed or ashamed this morning. If you are, I don't care. I used to say I don't care all the time when I started pastoring, and then I quit saying it because first of all, my wife said, y'all not say you don't care because it makes you sound like you don't care. You mean, so I quit saying that, but I, I just got that, 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 I got an honorary spirit on me today, Pastor Jeremy. I'm not worried if I offend you today, especially if I offend you because I preach the truth of the living word of God. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I want the word of God to be magnified today. I want the truth of the word of God to be lifted up and glorified today. I want Jesus to be lifted high because he promised me that if we would lift him up, he would draw all men unto himself the single greatest experience you can ever have in your life is to find Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the culture we live in, I didn't mean to get on that tangent, but I did. They look at the cross with disdain and mockery. They look at the Christ of the cross, and they say it's dated. 
He's irrelevant. He's offensive. He's not politically correct. I say to them what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1 and 18, that yes, indeed, the message of the cross, it may be foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I want you to know today that there is still power in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And what happened at Calvary, it may be two thousand years old plus but it is not dated it is not irrelevant yes it may be offensive and Jesus may not be politically correct but it is still the single most powerful thing in all of the world that cross that Jesus hung on that blood that he said it can still save every man every woman every boy and every girl there is power wonder working power in the blood of the lamb if you're glad about it praise him today here's the the next thing I want to draw your attention to Lord I got all is my watch work 1140 my watch has stopped no lie what time is it golly day that thing's broke hallelujah thank you Jesus my battery died Woohoo! Hey, listen, I didn't plan that. I thought that hand hadn't moved in about 10 minutes. I know I've been preaching longer than that. <laughs> Somebody lock the doors and bolt them. We got them. Don't let them go. Yes, I want you to see the next thing. I want you to see not just the people and the placement of Christ's cross and the position of the crosses, but I want you to see the plea from the cross. It was a cry, a nine-word prayer, a nine-word cry for mercy and grace. Remember, I told you both of those thieves that day railed on him, but at some point during that day, one of those thieves changed his tune. While the other thief just continued to berate the Lord, his cohort, his partner in crime looked over at him and said, Don't you have any fear of God? Don't you understand that we're under the same condemnation that this man is? And he has done nothing wrong, but we, we receive the just reward of our deeds. We're getting exactly what we deserve. And B, I just wonder, who taught that man that? I'm convinced that he had a mama or somebody that took him to the synagogue, took him to the temple, read the scrolls. And you don't just hang on a cross and figure out that, listen, this is Jesus. He is not guilty of one thing that he's done. Somebody taught that boy something. And he looked over at Jesus that day after he had, after he had rebuked his criminal friend. And he prayed quite possibly the most powerful prayer in all of Scripture. Nine words, Lord. Lord. The fact that he could even call him Lord. How did he know to call him Lord? That's not just some passing term. That means a supreme being and authority and ruler over everything. Somebody taught that boy about Jesus. You don't just call him Lord in, a, in, your, in your dying moment. He had some kind of knowledge, Pastor Tony. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
It's possible, I don't think, but it's possible that that may have been the only prayer that that man ever prayed in his whole life. It's possible that was the only time he ever prayed. I don't think it was because there's no way you call him Lord, never having known him or had some kind of relationship or some kind of knowledge about him. Lord, remember me if I had time, and I've talked about this, I think the first sermon I ever preached here. It was not just that man asking Jesus to let him be a passing thought. But the word remembers the opposite of the word that, that is dismembered. It means a pulling apart or a breaking, a severing. He was not just saying to Jesus, think about me. But he was saying, Lord, I'm a dismembered, pulled apart, broken, fragmented mess. Will you put me back together again and not just let me be with you in paradise physically, but, oh, God, heal me and mend me and restore my brokenness. That was what Calvary, that's what the crucifixion did to people. Lord, remember me. Remember me. That was indeed the only prayer that he prayed. It spoke volumes. It spoke volumes about what he believed Jesus was capable of doing for him that day. Unlike that other thief, he understood. He understood the gravity of the moment. He realized that eternity was weighing in the balance. This was his last chance. This was his last opportunity. He knew, listen, he knew that life was leaving him. He was down probably to just maybe a number of breaths. I don't know, but he knew this may be the last chance for the stout that I have. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I want you to know today, you may feel like you are at the very end of your rope. You may have come here today out of a favor to a family member or maybe just to fulfill a religious obligation. And you're sitting here today and you're saying, Pastor, this may be the last chance I ever have. I walked out of hell today, Pastor. I've been in hell all week long, Pastor. My marriage is a wreck. My finances are a wreck. Every relationship I have is crumbling. And this may be your last ditch effort to cry out to God. And here's what I want somebody to know today, that Jesus will never turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to your cry. Romans 10 and 13 says, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's the last thing I want you to know. Pastor Tony, come help me lay in this, please, sir. Here's the last part of this scene that I want us to view together. You had the people on the cross. You had the placement of Jesus' cross. You had the position of all three of the crosses. You had the plea and the cry from that cross, from that dying thief, for mercy and for grace. And then I want you to see the proximity of all of those crosses. As I did some study and some research, some of you may know this, I didn't know this until this week, that historians... Archaeologists tell us that that little piece of land called Calvary or Golgotha that Jesus and those criminals were crucified on, that it was actually a landfill. It was actually a garbage dump. And the people that lived in the city of Jerusalem would come to that area, Calvary, Golgotha, and dispose of their trash in that place.
And when we look at that and when we see that, it's amazing to me that a place so sacred and a place that seems to hold so much reverence could be a place that speaks of such filth and nastiness. Historians and archaeologists tell us that it was a landfill or a garbage dump. And when the Roman soldiers would crucify those men, they would peel their bodies off of those crosses. And because there was no one to receive the bodies, because people in that time did not want to be associated with or known for having any kind of connection with people of criminal activity. The Roman soldiers would take those bodies and throw them in that landfill or that garbage dump. And the dogs and those other wild animals and beasts from the outskirts of the city would come and they say they would eat the rotting flesh off the bones of those men who had been crucified and just cast into that landfill or that garbage dump. Grace came to a garbage dump that day. Somehow love found a landfill and reached out and rescued not just that dying thief, but every single one of us in here today. Watch this. Because when that thief, can I come back here and preach a little bit today? That's what all the big-time speakers do. Do they come back here? I'm going to come back here today and preach a little bit. <laughs> Big time's overrated. Who cares? Jesus replied, Mark, to that dying thief that day, a nine-word prayer, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you that today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise came to a landfill. Paradise was connected to a garbage dump. And you know what the connection was? The connection was Jesus. When I read that this week, I about had church in my office all by myself. I want to tell you today, paradise can come to your life today. And there may be some of you sitting in this place this morning. Your life is disgustingly messy. I'm sure most of us in here, we've been to a landfill. We've been to a garbage dump. I don't know how to say this any more diplomatic. It reeks. It smells awful. Flies all around. Old buzzards hovering over top. We had one in Franklin County. One year Jensen played baseball. The only year he ever played baseball. Too slow moving. He hated it. And they had this little league practice field. I mean right beside a landfill, a garbage dump. And we'd go out there for practice. And when that wind would shift, holy mackerel. It was horrid. 
that's the picture that we have of Calvary. Jesus, the suffering Savior. A thief over here and a thief over here, right in the middle of a landfill and a garbage dump. But paradise came that day. Paradise came to a garbage dump. Paradise was connected to a landfill, and the connection point was Jesus. And listen, today your life may feel like it's in a landfill. You may feel like you're living in the middle of a garbage dump. And your life is messy and it's gross and flies buzzing around everywhere. But I've got good news for somebody today. You don't have to stay stuck in the stench of your circumstances. Jesus can come right to where you are. (laughs) 2,000 years ago, he came right to where that dying thief was. Listen, and I'm going to close. I've only said that one time, so this is it. I'm close. And every good message has three points and at least three endings. This is the only one you're getting today. <clears throat> I don't think it's accidental or coincidental that they put Jesus on the middle cross. Because what if they'd have put him on the left? In the one thief in the middle and the one that changed his tune on the right-hand side, they may not have been able to have that dialogue. But God knew where to put him. And I'm telling you, God knows right where to put you when you need it. And today, you don't have to stay stuck in the filth and the stench of your circumstances. If you'll open your heart up to Him, it's so simple and it's so easy. You can receive Christ before you walk out of here today. Pastor, is that going to make my life perfect? Is that going to make everything just peachy? No, it's not going to make everything peachy and perfect. But I'm telling you, it'll make your life brand new and you'll never, ever experience the joy that you can experience here today if you invite Jesus in to the stench maybe of your life that you're living in. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a moment, please. Thank you.